I promise that this sermon will be a little, just a little less heavy than last week's. Just, just a little, just a little. And I also promise to go a little shorter, but if I keep talking about how long the sermon is, it will elongate it and we'll be stuck here hearing me talk about how short the sermon is. Today is communion. I want you to remember that as we go through the sermon, because this sermon will, in time, start to go into the ideas of communion and the ideas of forgiveness and repentance. So just notice how it parallels so wonderful. I was so glad it fell this way. I, I wasn't planning for communion on the same day, uh, but God was, and I see how wonderfully this matches together. Now, as someone who's gone through the hiring process lately, I just want to tell you I hate it. And for those of you who interviewed me, it's not personal. Don't start squirming. I'm not going to say anything you're not going to like, but it's tough. My job is to present me as better than everyone else to a church that's looking for someone who's humble. My job is to suggest I am perfect at this job to a church who believes only Jesus is perfect. My job is to come across as me, but maybe a little more polished. I don't like the process, but i give you a little hint here. I love the interviews. I love talking about myself. I love answering questions about me. I did a whole sermon about me last week. That's how much I like talking about myself. I enjoy the process. I've never walked away from an interview that I, didn't, that I said, that didn't go well. I've not always walked away and said, I've got the job. But I felt all of them at least weren't a mess, except for one about 15 years ago. I just see the leadership board going, he's going to talk about us. I was not here 15 years ago. Totally different interview. And it didn't start well. The first person, so we had a bunch of boards together. There was the, the children's ministry board. There was the leadership board. They would have different names for it. There was the pastor's council. It would be more like the elders. And there was the youth pastor and his people, so to speak, that were helping out. A lot of people in a room. It was kind of like a parole hearing, I figure. I've never had one, but I'm trying to convince these people to hire me. The first person to speak was the treasurer of the church. And this individual, to my knowledge, has grown up within the United Church. And certain ways of acting were acceptable, very businesslike. But his first question was scary. And it was this, what makes you think that with your limited education, you can do this job? OK, the room goes quiet. It wasn't just the question, it was his gruff voice. His demeanor was a little overbearing, and it was kind of like he looked at me like, why are you wasting my time? I have better things to do, and I don't like you. I've never met him before, but I figured that somehow I upset him the way I walked in the room. I don't know what it was, but it didn't go well. What do you do? you got to answer the question, right? I, I did finally think, okay, I'm ready to answer the question. The rule of an interview is how can you turn this around in a way they can understand and best suits who you are? I open my mouth, and the lead pastor says, stop. This isn't happening again. This is not the way we're going to conduct this. No more questions like this. They're not Christ-like, and they desire nothing but to embarrass the candidate. It's not happening again. The problem is we got a hanging question there. Now I look like I'm afraid to answer it because he's interjected. I don't know the pastor. It's not as though he's protecting Dave Peaver. He's protecting the candidate. So I tried to answer it the best I could, and I simply said, you're right. I don't have the education of your other candidate. I happen to know generally what the person was about, what they'd done. 
And I tried to explain, hey, in my line of work, you don't ever know everything. See, I'm going the opposite way of I'm perfect for this job and saying, hey, I'm not good enough. But, but it seemed to work because I said, I research. I said, I got friends who have more diplomas on their walls than you can count. I'll go to them. I'll talk to my friend with his doctorate in spiritual development. How's that sound? The first thing I want to say is I'm always willing to admit I may not know, but I will find out. And I got the job. I didn't leave feeling too good about it, but I got the job. And it turns out that him and I got along fine the whole time I was there. Actually, I wouldn't say we were friends. He was considerably older than me, not the same likes, but we certainly got along. From his generation, you didn't walk up to another man and say you're sorry. So through back channels, I heard through a friend that he actually never meant it to come out that way. But what a horrible interview. What makes you think you have the credentials to do this job? And then an angry voice and a gruff voice. We're going to start in 1 John. We're going to start talking about this letter. This letter is not easy. There is some pretty black and white stuff in here. In or out type of stuff. I wish I could have walked in with John's credentials into that interview. I wish I could have walked in with John's credentials into my interview here at this church. Listen to John's credentials. And when you hear them and then we talk about the difficult things John asks us to do, remember his credentials. This is not a guy writing stuff down. This is a guy who has the right credentials to say everything he says. If you open your Bibles to 1 John 1, 1 through 4, you may not have it with you. It's not going to be on the screen. We have a main verse, but you're going to have to trust me that I'm not making up his credentials here. I don't speak the way it's written here, so you should be able to tell the difference. 1 John 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy, or another translation would be your joy, complete. Think of those credentials. We were there. Everything in this letter is based on the fact I saw it, I touched it, I experienced it. Those are credentials. Those are to be listened to. This isn't some guy hundreds of years after Jesus saying, I think he said this. This is a guy who said, I was there. I'm not writing a letter with a bunch of my ideas. you got to remember, religious leaders of that time took the laws that God gave and added law upon law upon law, made the burden of following the creator of the universe so heavy that no one was ever good enough, well, except for them who had the excuses. A lot of their laws and rules they made had little outs for them as leaders. So it's important that when John writes, he's saying, this comes from the guy. This comes from the Savior. This comes from Jesus. The rules I'm about to hand you are from Jesus himself, the one who offers freedom, not burdens. He starts telling it 
Now, if I was there at that time and used to Pharisees saying, you have to do this and do that, used to the, the exchange of money to buy a specific dove in the temple. Remember, Jesus is flipping tables over there and people making rules so they can make more money off of me so I can have access to God. If I was back then, I'd be wary. But when I hear he walked with Jesus, who is now ascended into heaven, I've got to say, listen, this is important. But look at his goal. Those of the religious leaders' goal were to find ways to make money, find ways to get you to feel lesser, that you weren't good enough, but they were. What does his say? Our joy or your joy will be complete and experienced. He cared about the individual, not himself. He cared about the fellowship with God. These are words we would not have heard out of a Pharisee. It would be, if you want to get out of the mess you're in, give us money. And again, it would probably be better said than that. If you want access to God, if you want to be able to actually offer something up so that you'll be saved from your sins, give us money. Follow these rules. Do these things. John's going to give us a few rules, or at least insight. But he says it so your joy may be complete, that you will have fellowship with God something that was not really heard of as the, the religion took over and as the rules took over. Something that a shepherd boy named David understood, but over time it became more about rules, regulations. It wasn't actually about getting close to God. It was about getting close to the temple and getting a chance to be saved through the rules of man. Now, for those who interviewed me at Grace, they went through my training they prayed about it. They looked at what I said. They looked at, did it match up with what they were looking for? I really wish I could have said to them, you know what, my biggest credential is, I was there. I walked with Jesus. I sat at his feet. Everything I say is a repetition of what he said with application for grace. If I had said that, most likely I would be in, a, in an institution for a while. There's a good chance if I claim to be 2,000 years old and walk with Jesus that I was not getting the job. But imagine having those credentials. And if you believe he's telling the truth, then we got to listen to the hard stuff. The hardest truths about following Christ, I believe, are in 1 John. Because he doesn't pull any punches. Years ago, I said I was going to preach on 1 John. I was finishing up a transitional pastor position and they needed me an extra couple of months over what I had planned to be there. I felt God saying, preach on 1 John. And I read it, oh, I, I love the one, you know, extravagant love type of talk. I love the, the, the love of God for us, and, and, and God is love. It sounds so wonderful until you get in to things like you're either in or out. And so I told a friend I was going to preach on, I said, why don't you just preach on Leviticus? It's probably easier. It's a hard book. It's, it can appear to be nonsense and legalism, but the truth is, he says, your joy can be complete. So in this book contains the opportunity to have joy. It's not legalism. It's an opportunity to please God and enjoy fellowship with him. So let's get into the tough stuff. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Pretty good so far. We'd all agree with that. Uh-oh. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not live by truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. When I read that, I don't see a middle line, do you? A gray area. It's an in or out. It's a light or dark. It is either you are lying or you're saying that Jesus is a liar. Those are strong, harsh words. But those harsh words come from a man who sat in the presence of Jesus. Unless we believe he was making it up, this must be something Jesus was trying to tell people. As a matter of fact, we know it's something Jesus was trying to tell people. And Jesus knew trying is the correct word here. He knew that people don't listen. He knew that people were more apt to be in the darkness. If you're familiar with the Bible, John wrote a bunch of stuff. He wrote a book that comes before that in the Bible, the Gospel of John. So the historical record of what Jesus did and Jesus said. Not everything, but the things he was privy to and God through his spirit led him to write down. Listen to the words of Jesus. I think you're going to find them really similar. In John 3 verses 19 through 21 it says, this is Jesus' words. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So John isn't making this up. John's harsh statement is no different than Jesus. Men love darkness, and men being mankind, in case you women think you're getting off scot-free here and go home, mankind, humankind, loves darkness because the light exposes our sin. So John is simply taking what Jesus said and giving us application for our lives. He's saying that Jesus gave us two choices, not a bunch of choices. How do we lie? How do we walk in the darkness? Well, he's clear. We deny sin. So I think most of us here would say, I don't deny sin. Sin exists. I've never denied sin. I don't know you. I don't know that you've said or not said that you deny sin. But I have a question for you. Whoever used the term I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect, as a defense. Maybe you just cross the line into darkness. If you downplay sin and turn it into an oopsie that everybody does, you are denying the power of sin, which means you're also denying the need for the power of Christ. I know it's black and white, but let's go into an area that you may think is gray. I believe we all deny sin because it's become part of our, our vernacular, what we say. Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Okay, but what would Paul say to that? What, should we go on sinning? You see, there's a big swing there when we try to justify sin. When sin no longer has power over us, doesn't mean sin doesn't exist. It means Jesus is more powerful, but we still sin. 
It's a scary thought, but I think every one of us has our toe sort of in the area of darkness sometimes. We love God's forgiveness, but we do not bask in the repentance and the confession that is required of us. I don't know exactly where the people are at that John is writing to, but I would guess they had slipped into this idea that, oh, I'm not a sinner anymore because I have Jesus. That's not really a biblical idea. It, it, it kind of borders on it. We are free from sin through Jesus' blood, but there's more to it. It just doesn't make a good church message. If we tell the hard truth, maybe someone won't stay. But here's a question. Do you think if we tell the hard truth, maybe someone will end up there? These seats, full or empty, do not determine who goes to heaven. That would be the Pharisees again. The rules are you come to this church, do this, you go to heaven. But if we preach truth and we admit that sin does exist, we have a better chance of convincing people of their need for Jesus. If we downplay it that, you know, whatever, I just everybody makes mistakes, it's okay. We're not introducing them to Jesus at all. There is no point in Jesus giving up his life in a horrid, torturous death for a couple of boo-boos people make every once in a while. John is saying it a pretty hard way. You're in or you're out, but maybe we should think of it that way. John also gives us the opportunity to be in. But he says, if you're going to deny sin, then you can't be in. He says, confess your sins. In other places in the Bible, it says, confess your sins one to another. That's scary. Why don't we just start with God in our private room right now? At least make a step forward. Why don't we say, God, reveal to me what sin I have, because I want to be in the light. Jesus said, the light exposes sin. It's funny. We're comforted by the fact that we're forgiven, and when we make mistakes, when we sin, we can still go to heaven. But for some reason, we're not comforted by the fact that we can confess our sins, unload our sins, and he is faithful and just. He will forgive us. It's fun to take the gospel and take the parts that are comfortable and preach them. As a matter of fact, I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the growth in some of the megachurches is about a very thin gospel. It says, it's okay. Jesus accepts you the way you are. I'm going to suggest we start using a new word. God tolerates sin. God has never accepted sin. If God didn't tolerate sin, we'd be obliterated. So what if we switch to that? He doesn't accept us the way we are. He loves us the way we are. He tolerates the way we are. But he desires that we be holy as he is holy. That we not be in the darkness, but that he shines the light in every area of our bodies and our minds and our spirits so we become more like him. Here's my concern. I think we tend to align the Bible with us instead of ourselves with the Bible. If I were to boil down 1 John, and we're going to go in, there's some more hard stuff of in and or out type of stuff where it, there's no center line. But as we try to make the Bible mean what we want it to mean, we come up with our own form of salvation and we take the power from the cross, the reason for Jesus' existence, and we throw it out. I'm not going to get on someone if they say I'm not perfect. I'm not going to get on someone who says I'm forgiven. But I am very uncomfortable when that is the excuse to go on sinning. 
I'm very uncomfortable when someone is in a room that is dark and says it's light. Says they live in the light, but we know they're still in the darkness. And from the pulpit, all we hear is Jesus loves you and forgives you. He loves you so much that he came to where you're at and wants to shine light in that area so you will see where you need to be. Jesus didn't die so you could stay the same. I think John is pointing out to a group of people, including us, that there's something different to the follower of Christ. How many of you practice confessing your sins? I don't mean saying, I'm sorry, God, I may have messed up. I mean practice confessing your sins. I talked a lot about my family last week. There was one thing we did that I'll remember forever. Now, we were, we were Pentecostal during the week and Anglican on the weekends. Very confusing. It, you, you, anyway, we had communion three out of four Sundays. It was real wine, by the way. It washed race in and bad breath at the same time. Anyway, we would turn to each other and say we were sorry for sins that we committed against each other that week. Now, it became habit. But out of that habit could come a great tradition. If we turned to our partner, our spouse, brother, sister, whoever's sitting with us and said, I am sorry that I did this or that, wouldn't that make a different communion? God is faithful to forgive when we confess. We're also called to forgive one another, to confess our sins. What if church became about reconciliation? What if church became about the light of truth shining in our darkness? But what if it stays in North America the way it's going, where it's darkness masquerading as light, where sin is not a big deal, where Jesus' death becomes a wonderful story that we can do a play every Easter about? If you truly desire to align yourself with God, then step into the light. And if you don't think you can, don't worry. God has not left us alone. The Spirit of God is in us, guiding us, comforting us through the process. But if you leave with anything today, leave with the fact you can't sit on the fence. Don't lie to yourself anymore. Sin matters. God is more powerful. Satan is trying to destroy you. God can save you. The light is where we want to be. The darkness is where we hide. The light demands change. The darkness covers up the need for change. Hard words. But remember, if you read through it, the other words. If you confess your sins, he is faithful. We're about to go into communion. If you confess your sins, he is faithful. But if you say you do not have sin, I guess by not confessing you, you have your sin, you're saying you don't have sin, then you lie. And you make Jesus out to be a liar. Today could be the first day of a church that is in reconciliation every moment of every day. A church that's in the light, that's not afraid to see its sin for what it is and the blood of Jesus for the power it contains. It's not me who says this. It's someone who was there, who saw, who touched, who experienced Jesus, and he said these words, you're either in or out. You're either in the light or the darkness. Confess your sins, be in the light, or say you have no sin, 
and remain in the darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a tough book. It's a tough lesson. It's, I don't even know what to say because it's kind of scary to think that there's only two sides. God, help us to understand that your grace is intention. It's got to be constantly in tension with our desire to repent. That although it's a free gift, we still need to do something to receive that gift. Teach us to confess and repent. Teach us not to be afraid of the consequences, for the consequences of repentance is life and life eternal. Remind us as we, as we celebrate your son's death, as we celebrate his resurrection, remind us it was for our sin. Help us to confess and be in the light. In your name we pray, amen.